Good morning, everyone. It's good to have you here. Our current sermon series is on the topic of waiting. And for the first two sermons, I focused on the spiritual posture that we need to wait on the Lord during life's situations, difficulties, events going on in our lives, such as maybe waiting for a job or a new job, waiting for physical, emotional, spiritual healing, waiting for a spiritual awakening in your own life and in the lives of your children or your spouse. We see that a lot of our lives are really focused on waiting and we need to learn how to wait on the Lord. But this morning I want to go into a different direction. I want to shift our focus to three things that the Bible tells us that every Christian should be waiting for. These are three things that are part of our commonality as Christians. These are three things that are part of our koinonia. These are three things that are part of our fellowship together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Every believer, the Bible tells us, should be waiting for the redemption of the body, the coming of Jesus Christ, and the new heavens and new earth. And for the next uh, couple of weeks, these are the areas that we're going to be looking, on, looking at. We're going to be looking at waiting for the redemption of our body, waiting for the coming of Jesus Christ, and waiting for the new heaven and new earth. This morning, I want us to consider waiting eagerly for the redemption of our body. And our text is found in Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 18 through verse 27. Hear now God's holy and inspired word. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory of that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pain of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. For he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. That finishes the reading of God's holy 
and inspired word. As I mentioned, this morning we're going to be considering the redemption of our body, waiting for the redemption of our body. Now, the whole topic of the redemption of our body is not taught a lot today. And this void has left many Christians with little hope of how to handle life's difficulties, this suffering at this present time. We don't know how to face tragedy, disease, or death. Now, the world has taught us that this life, this world, that's all there is. And for us to look forward to a future glory is hopeless and foolish. But the Bible tells us, even in our text this morning, to consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is revealed to us. So to help us understand, the Holy Spirit inspires the Apostle Paul to set everything into the current context. And the current context is that we live in a fallen world. Of course, it wasn't always this way. Prior to the fall, everything was good. Everything was healthy. Everything was vibrant. No corruption, no decay, no death. But at the moment of Adam's disobedience, all of humanity fell into corruption. And this is what is commonly known as original sin. The Bible teaches us that through one man, sin entered into the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men. Now, our text this morning teaches that not only humanity fell into this condition of corruption, but the whole of creation as well. You see, because of the fall of man, creation is subject now to corruption, death, decay. You see, due to Adam's disobedience, creation is shackled with this slavery to corruption. Now, we're going to look at the curse of creation in more detail in a couple of weeks when we consider the promise of the new heavens and the new earth. But for now, let's focus on the fact that we live in a fallen world. As God said to Adam right after his fall, his disobedience. Cursed is the ground because of you, corruption of creation, and to dust you will return. Death. Death is one of the outcomes of Adam's disobedience, but modern culture tells us not to focus on it. As a matter of fact, to ignore death as much as possible. But we all know that unless the Lord tarries, each one of us will eventually die. And this morning, I want us to focus in on the blessed hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ for this life 
and our future glory in heavenly places. This morning, I want you to see that as we face the darkness of death, there is this beautiful light of the gospel and there is this promise of the resurrected body. The Bible teaches us that by the transgression of one, death reigned through the one. But much more, those who have received the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? So we see this darkness, but we see this beautiful light of the gospel. We see this aspect of death, but we see eternal life through Jesus Christ. The Bible goes on. As though through one transgression there resulted in condemnation to all men, so that through one act of righteousness there resulted in the justification of life to all men. And through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. But even so, through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. You see, the Bible teaches us that by sending his son, our Lord Jesus Christ, God demonstrated his love towards us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And much more than having been justified by his, by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. So here we see the two aspects of this beautiful gospel. It's not only that we're saved from our sins, salvation, if you would, from this life, in this life, but we also have a future hope for eternal life in Christ. As the apostle would say, you know, if we're only hoping for salvation in this life, we are of all people to be most pitied. See, the hope of the gospel is not just for now. It's for all eternity. It is the hope of life, abundant life, and the hope of eternal life. Yes, we live in a fallen world. But as I mentioned before, the sufferings of this present time, the scriptures tell us, are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. No way can even compare. It's beyond our comprehension. But God wants to reveal it to us. So that we can truly wait on the Lord. The Lord wants us to live with hope. With the freedom that awaits us. And our text tells us that God wants us to wait eagerly for the full revelation of who we are in Christ. Our text tells us that the Lord wants us to wait eagerly for our full adoption as sons and daughters of God. Our text tells us that God's word wants us to wait eagerly 
for the redemption of our bodies. Now, this waiting eagerly is mentioned three times in our text. And it's mentioned 14 times in the New Testament. And all those references of waiting eagerly fall into one of three categories. Either we're waiting eagerly for the the resurrection of our body, or we're waiting eagerly for the second coming of Christ, or we're waiting eagerly for the new heavens and new earth. This waiting eagerly, it's not some passive thing, it's something that really takes the work of the Holy Spirit in us to give this sense that there is a future, future hope. We're not talking about some humdrum waiting around in some doctor's office. We're talking about waiting eagerly. Maybe our closest comparison to that is a child waiting for Christmas morning. Maybe waiting for birthday party to come. Where there's this sense of expectation, this eager waiting. Well, that's what the Lord wants in us now. We see that our text teaches us that this, this waiting eagerly, should, we should have a divine expectation of the full revelation of who we are in Christ. Now we only know in part, it's just a little part that we know. We only have the first fruits of the Spirit as our text teaches us. But then, on that day, we'll have this sense of who we really are in Christ. And what we should seek for now is for the work of the Holy Spirit to give us this sense of divine expectation. Our text tells us that we need to eat, to wait eagerly with confidence that we are the adopted sons and daughters of God. Now, we know that the Bible teaches us that by the act of God's free grace, we have been received into God's family and we have all the rights and privileges as the children of God. The fact is, we are adopted. Amen? Not by any works that we have done. We were orphans. But God himself, through Christ, has adopted us. Because of God's free grace, we are no longer slaves to sin. But we are sons and daughters of God through Christ. And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. But the problem is, in this present time, we see in a mirror dimly. Things can become fuzzy or fogged. But the scripture is challenging us to wait eagerly to see things clearly. To see things for one day we will see it face to face. We will know the fullness of of our adoption, what it really, really means. See, at this present time, we know in part, but there will be a day where we will be fully known, 
we will know completely what it means to be a son and daughter of God. And we will know everything just as we have been fully known in Christ. And the scripture is challenging us for us to eagerly wait for that day. Not to become frustrated, not to become confused, not to become bewildered, not to become discouraged, not to become depressed, but to eagerly wait for that day. The scripture here calls us to eagerly wait. That even though our outer man is decaying, how many can say amen to that? Even though there will be a day when I will experience death. The day when my body returns to the ground and my soul will return to God who gave it. Here we see that the scripture is calling us to eagerly wait to know that on the day that the Lord Jesus returns, that our souls will be united with a glorified body and we will forever be with the Lord. Beloved, now we are the children of God and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. Wait eagerly for it. Wait eagerly to know the fullness of the truth that those for whom he has predestined, he also called. And those for whom he called, he, those he also justified. And those for whom he justified, he will also what? Glorify. Glorify. You see, we know in part of God's predestined plan. We know in part the sense of him calling us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We know in part that we've been justified through the work of Jesus Christ, but he wants us to know that there will be one day where we will be glorified, and that's part of his plan too. Therefore, we eagerly wait for the resurrection of the body. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentarily, light affliction is producing in us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comprehension, all comparison, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things that are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen, these are eternal. God, by His Spirit, wants to give you eternal glasses 
So you can look past the temporary aspects of this world for which we spend the majority of our time focusing on. And he wants us to look forward, waiting in eagerness for this resurrection body for eternal life. God wants us to know that our citizenship is in heaven no matter what your passport says. Your citizenship, if you are in Christ, is in heaven. From which we also, notice, eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our bodies from a humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. And he will do this by the exertion of the power that he has been given by making all things in subjection unto him. He will make us eternal. Now the fact is though, as we wait for this resurrected body, there's a lot of groaning going on. Our text mentions this groaning three different ways. It talks about the groaning of creation. It talks about the groaning that we have as believers. And it talks about the groaning of the Spirit. Now I will address this the creation's groaning in a couple of weeks when we, again, look at waiting for the new heavens and new earth. But this morning I want to focus in on the groaning of Christians and the groaning of the Spirit as we eagerly wait. Because this groaning is where we're at right now. This groaning is our current context. Now, this groaning is not out of a sense of disappointment. It's not a groan that happens when your favorite team misses a field goal attempt. Oh. It's not a groaning that happens when they shut the doors so nobody else can get on the airplane and you just missed your flight. Oh. No, this is not a groaning of disappointment. But rather, it's a groaning of expectation. Going through times of suffering, pain, no doubt about it. But there's an expectation that something beautiful is going to happen in the future. And our our text refers to this groaning as the pains of childbirth. The idea is that a woman giving birth Groans. Do, do I have that right, ladies? Right. Do, groan. It, it starts out with a kind of like a soft groaning, but then it ends up with the roar of a lion. As the birth of the child approaches, these groanings become louder and more intense. And by the end, the woman is experiencing. Extreme pain. Am I right here? Ladies, can I hear you? Yeah. Yeah. Extreme pain. But at the same time, she's looking forward with expectation for the birth of the child. 
One moment she is screaming in agony. And the next moment she's crying. She's laughing with joy. What happened? (laughs) The baby was born. The baby was born. It happens almost exactly from one second to the other. Barbara, in giving birth to our last boy, you know, it started off kind of like this little soft whimper. And by by the end, I thought she was the the girl in the movie Exodus, where her head's been, Oh, you get away from me! Wow. And the Bible says that this type of groaning this pain of childbirth is the groans that we experience during the sufferings of this present time. We all are groaning. Maybe you might be in your 20s. You're not groaning all that much. 30s, not really. 40s, forget it. 50s, okay. 60s, oh yeah. 70s, what about it, John? What about 80? <laughs> Groaning. That's all he does to me anymore. Just groans and groans and groans and groans. You know, when I was sick a few years ago, I was told that I was just always oh, going through this, like, this deep groaning. You know, and it was months after my recovery, and, and for some reason, I made that sound again. And Barbara's like, are you okay? Why, why, what? You just made the sound that you made. It, the idea is, like, you know, I'd say, oh, am I, am I going to live through this? This groaning. Yeah, you know, as we experience pain and suffering at this present time, but the fact is, is that we're looking in expectation for the redemption of our body. As life goes on, our groans become louder and more intense. But we're looking for something to happen. It's not a deadness. It's life. The Christian is experiencing pain at this present time, but at the same time, the Christian is looking forward with expectation to the redemption of the body, looking forward to something that they've never seen before, looking forward to something that they really don't know much about, but God's word promises it. So I groan out of a sense of pain, but I groan with expectation. And this is not only in context of our resurrected body. This is in context of even our own life situations. Things that we go through. Tragedies. Disease. Death. Of our loved ones. We groan. We groan. But we don't just groan in our pain. We don't groan, as the apostle says, like people who have no hope but we groan with expectation 
that God's going to deliver us. Amen? There's no greater comfort than to hear a brother or a sister who is suffering great pain, great anguish, going through a hard, 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 difficult time, maybe diagnosed with a terminal illness, and they've suffered and suffered and suffered. There's no better sense of when that brother or sister says, I'm ready to go be with the Lord. I'm ready to go home. That's really what we need the Holy Spirit to do in our hearts today. Give us that type of sense. I want you to remember that the pains of this world referred to here in our text, the pains of this present state are pains, are birth pains. They're not death pains. They're birth pains and not death pains. And I think we need to really shift our view of thinking. They're not death pains. They're birth pains. We are groaning with birth pains, eagerly awaiting the redemption of our body. And not only our redemption, but the redemption of our loved ones for those who have gone before us. Now, in many ways, as we're waiting, we're waiting in weakness. We are experiencing the suffering and pain of this present time, and we are so weak, we are so feeble, we are so vulnerable. We're, we're so weak, we're so feeble, so vulnerable during this time that we don't even know how to pray as we should. That's what the text says. We really don't have a clear understanding of what's going on. We really don't have a clear understanding of what's, what's happening. We don't, really don't know what the future holds in the sense of our healing. Or, or, we, we just, we, you know, we don't know. And we don't even know how to pray as we ought. So God sends his Holy Spirit to help us in our weakness. I want you to know, as I said last week, there's no room for know-it-alls. There's no room for people who got it all figured out. It's like, a person, it's like a woman who's ready to give birth to her child, and she's starting to go through labor, and, and, she, and she, says, she says to the doctors and nurses, Oh, no, no, don't, don't worry about it. You guys just get out of here. Go, go, go. I got this one. I'm all good up in here. I don't need your comfort. I don't need your care. I don't need your expertise. No, no, no. I got it. That's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous. We need to know that there is no room for do-it-yourselfers. DYI won't work here. This is for the weak, for those who would admit that there's times in your life when you don't even know how to pray as you ought. Things are so confusing, so frustrating, so out of control. It's during those times that we need the Holy Spirit to help us in our weakness. You see, when we wait in weakness, the scripture tells us that the Spirit intercedes for us for, with groanings, notice, too deep for words. The Spirit prays for us with words, 
we cannot express. Now, this is not some strange spiritual prayer language as it's taught by some. And I could exegetically show you that through, but I'm not going to take time to do it. But what I will say is that the Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us, the text says, with groanings too deep for words. This is not some sort of spiritual language. This is the work of God in our hearts and lives. See, the Spirit helps us in our weakness by searching our hearts. The Bible tells us that man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord will bring, about, bring to light all that is hidden in darkness. He will expo expose the motives of the heart. The Bible teaches us that no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked, exposed to the eyes of him for whom we will give account. The fact is, is that the Lord sends his spirit to those who wait in weakness to search your heart, to search our thoughts, our motives, our intentions, our emotions, our mind, he's searching us. And let me just say this, the Holy Spirit is not searching you to find fault. I can find fault. I can find fault within myself, and God knows for sure I can find fault in you. Finding fault? I don't need the third person of the Godhead to find fault. The Holy Spirit is not sent to you for, to find fault. In you. The Holy Spirit is sent to you to help you in your weakness to search your heart so that he might lead you towards God's will. So that you might truly understand that your thoughts, your intentions, your motives aren't correct. And he is speaking to you with words too deep to express. And he's molding your heart so that you would submit to the will of God. The Apostle Paul, he, he was waiting in weakness when he prayed three times that God would remove this thorn in the flesh. God sent his spirit and searched the Apostle's heart. And the Lord spoke to him and says, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. See, the Holy Spirit searched the Apostle's heart. His thoughts, his intention, his motives. And he molded the Apostle into understanding what God's will was. And then the Apostle came to the spiritual understanding that he would rather boast in his weakness that the power of Christ would dwell in him. And that's what the Lord does. That's what the Spirit does for those who wait in weakness. Will you wait in weakness today? Now you might be sitting here and everything is going really good with you. Really there's not very many problems, no big deals. No aches or pains. Nobody in your life that's really going through anything. Things are pretty good. You need to thank God for that. 
And I pray the Holy Spirit will remind you of this text when the bad day shows up. But for everyone else, I want you to know that God knows that you're struggling. God knows that you are so freaked out that you don't even know how to pray as you should. God knows that you're experiencing pain and anguish emotionally, physically, spiritually. God knows. But I'm here today to tell you, to remind you that that God has given you a beautiful salvation through Jesus Christ. That you could be freed from the burden of your sin. I'm here today to remind you that for those of you in Christ, he will send his Holy Spirit to you. If you'll humble yourself, he'll send your Holy Spirit, his Holy Spirit to you. And the Holy Spirit will begin to massage your thoughts and your mind and your heart. And you'll eventually come out on the back end, understanding the will of God. I'm here to tell you today that even if you face death, there is a promise of a resurrected body. The Bible says it like this. No eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. But these things, the scripture goes on and says, God has revealed to us through his spirit. And I pray to God that's what's happening to you today. That God is revealing to you his promises. I want to challenge each one of us today to make a commitment to eagerly wait. To ask God to send his Holy Spirit and give us this divine disposition of waiting. Not some humdrum waiting, but waiting eagerly. I I want to challenge each one of us to make a commitment to to cry out to God in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your weakness, to cry out to him and expect God to show up in your life, to mold your heart, your thoughts, your intentions, your motives to his will. I want to challenge each one of us today to wait in weakness, to wait in weakness, as we look forward to our resurrected body, to being glorified with Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord our God, we come to you today understanding fully the context for which we live. Lord, we come to you today understand that we live in a fallen world, that in this present day there's suffering. There's pain. But Lord, we want to thank you for the the beauty of the gospel that shines in the midst of darkness, shines forth in this radiant light that tells us 
that you have taken care of things. And Lord, we come to you today and asking you to send your Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask you, Lord, to come and to just to write upon our heart this divine disposition of eagerly waiting. Make it a commonality amongst us. Make it our koinonia as brothers and sisters in Christ that we all have this eager waiting for the promises of God. Lord, we come to you today and ask you to really mold our hearts. Search us. Lead us into your will. Lord, today, even as ourselves, our loved one, faces death, we pray, Lord God, that you would write upon our hearts the truth that we will gain a resurrected body. And we wait eagerly for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.